Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast. This is an election year. Will Donald Trump be re-elected? What is going on with the Democrats? And has America gone even more crazy? We'll be discussing all of these things and more, more than once a week, because we don't feel you have enough Americano in your life. And I have a special offer for Americano listeners. If you want to subscribe to the Spectator's US edition, which is brilliant, by the way, I edit it, you can go to www.spectator.us forward slash subscribe and take advantage of our special Americano offer. If you insert the code Americano in capital letters like Donald Trump on Twitter, you will get 5% off. Please do so. I'm joined today by Luke Thompson, who is a political consultant and a contributor to National Review. And we're going to be asking, could Andrew Cuomo be president? Now, Luke, the chatter about Andrew Cuomo has sort of picked up quite a lot in recent days. And this is largely because of two things. One is that Joe Biden's candidacy seems to be sputtering quite badly, particularly with the coronavirus crisis. He is doing a lot of these virtual town halls that are sort of disastrous, really brings out the kind of worst side of his misfiring brain. And the second reason is that Andrew Cuomo is being seen to have a good corona, if you like, in the way that people used to say about people having a good war. He's He's the governor of New York, and he is really taking the fight to Corona and doing these very sort of stirring press conferences, which Americans seem to love. And, and, well, everybody, when they're scared, seems to love, I suppose. So as a result of that, people have started to say that Cuomo might be drafted in to replace Biden as the nominee. How realistic do you think this talk is? I don't think it's realistic at all, but I think it's interesting because of what it says about the fear in certain corners in the media and among Democratic elites about Joe Biden's viability as a candidate and his capacity to do the basic tasks of presidential candidacy. And I think that fear is is exacerbated in the case of Cuomo because the format of his town halls is not dissimilar to the format of Biden's proof-of-life videos coming from the basement of his Wilmington, Delaware house. So the the contrast is made more striking. You know, Mike DeWine, the governor of Ohio, has also been earning pretty high praise, but he does a more conventional stand behind the podium with a bunch of his experts and his team and go through a, a series of detailed discussions, whereas Cuomo sits at a table, he has a slideshow projected next to him, and he goes through in, in a sort of low-key and detailed manner a lot of different types of points, and it's it's obviously resonating with New Yorkers, but it looks much more like the Biden shadow press conferences than any of the other governors conducting regular press conferences than than theirs do. It's actually quite an interesting phenomenon, isn't it, that governors become so popular in crises. That that seems to be the case, isn't it? Well, it depends. Um, A crisis can really make or break a governor. And there are plenty of governors in American history or not in American history, rather, because they they failed to respond effectively to a crisis. There are few things more powerful and more popular than a governor effectively directing the government and public opinion in the midst of a major crisis. There are few things more despicable and reviled in American politics than a chief executive who fails to rise to the occasion. Yes. And Cuomo, I mean, you know, I don't want to be unkind, but I mean, for all his impressive press conferences, 
it, the, the virus is out of control in New York. Of course, that's not necessarily his fault, but it does seem odd that he's been getting quite so much praise for having controlled the, or for having such a good campaign against the coronavirus when, in fact, New York is looking like the worst hit state. It's absolutely the worst hit state. I think he benefits from from three things there. One is simple partisanship. The the press gives Democratic elected officials a, a break here that they don't give to Republican elected officials, and especially, for instance, that they don't give to the president. You'll see reporters talk out of both sides of their mouths about things that both Cuomo and Trump have said or done in the same timelines. That's what it is, and that's sort of a constant over time. The other two are are this. The Tony suburbs just north of New York City were some of the first areas hit very, very hard by this. And the fact that that area was first and that the outbreak happened so quickly clearly indicated to people that this was not something that could be controlled by the government. There, there was literally nothing that anyone could have done because the, the virus was widespread in, in Westchester and its surrounds before people even realized <clears throat> it had arrived. So that's that's not Cuomo's fault. But then the third, and I think the most important factor, is that he stands as a foil with Bill de Blasio, the mayor of New York City. And Bill de Blasio is a deeply unpopular politician, an odious human being, and has managed to do exactly everything wrong in the course of this crisis. As late as, I think, March 13th, he was encouraging people to go to bars and restaurants because who knows what the future holds. Rather than canceling St. Patrick's Day, he allowed it to take place. He did cancel the parade, but he only canceled the parade at the 11th hour after most of the preparations had taken place. And so it really was a disastrous series of events that were under de Blasio's watch that created this this problem. But de Blasio has got the blame, whereas Cuomo doesn't. And, and how does that dynamic work? Well, New York City and New York State do not have great lines of traceability or accountability for the public. So, for instance, Cuomo probably deserves some criticism for keeping the Metro Transit Authority, which runs the subway and other forms of public transit in the city of New York, running as long as he has. Five transit workers have now died, four of them related to coronavirus, one related to an arson incident on a subway train that was in many respects enabled by the fact that no one, very few people are riding the subways, so they become a more frightening and dangerous place. But in general, people simply assume that the mayor of New York City runs the New York City subway. That's not the case because of the peculiar geography of New York and its neighboring states. But Cuomo has, to some extent, avoided accountability for, for that decision or lack of a decision. But, you know, the mayor still controls most of the goings-on within the city limits, parades, gatherings, opening businesses, closing businesses, etc. And the mayor has so conspicuously failed on that front that whatever Cuomo might have done or failed to do stands in pretty good stead by comparison. But even if we go back before the coronavirus, I mean, Cuomo was seen to have failed with the New York metro system beforehand. I mean, everything I hear from New Yorkers is about what a disaster it's been under his watch. Yeah, that's one where the failure of Cuomo and de Blasio to get along or collaborate, and they've hated each other pretty much, as far as I know, since they became aware of one another's existence, has really come at the cost of New Yorkers. And they both deserve a sizable amount of blame for that, but certainly Cuomo, part of the reason I think Cuomo's initial aspirations to the presidency in the summer of 2018 didn't go very well was that he had some real issues in his backyard, and there were a lot of New Yorkers unhappy with it. That that also, you know, to, to compound that, he's been involved in some pretty nasty internecine Democratic fights in Albany, especially in the state Senate, 
and of course went head to head with Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC, and to a lesser extent de Blasio over bringing Amazon HQ2, their second headquarters, to Queens, a plan that failed when Amazon pulled out despite Cuomo giving Amazon at least what to many people seemed to be a sweetheart deal. Well, he certainly seems to have a likability problem, Cuomo, but what's odd about likability in a crisis is that almost the nastier you, you are seen to be, the more people can like you. Is that fair? Yeah, I I mean, New Yorkers generally are not overly precious about the personalities of their politicians. I think people recognize that the Empire State requires some some bashing of heads together to make it function, even when it insofar as it can be said to function. So the political culture in New York is still very much a, a deal makers culture. There are a lot of reasons for that that we don't need to go into that are kind of boring. But there hasn't really been an extremely affable, friendly New York governor since George Pataki. And Pataki, being a, a Republican, was coming from the smaller of the two major parties and needing to be seen as as unthreatening and affable in order to win. So th- that political culture doesn't really translate all that well outside. It could be observed, however, that you know Donald Trump is also in many respects a byproduct of, of New York culture, if not exactly New York political culture, and I don't think anyone's accused him of being overly likable. Funny, yes, amusing, entertaining, all of these things, sure, but likability would not be one of his strong suits. Yes, although, I mean, there's a, there's a stench of corruption and political corruption around Cuomo, which, you know, you can, you can say there are elements of corruption about Trump, but it's not so much political corruption that might haunt him. I mean, it's sort of in the water in Albany. By comparison to some of his predecessors in state government, Cuomo looks comparatively clean. But it's certainly true that when you spend a lot of your time in smoke-filled rooms doing deals, you wind up appearing like the sort of person who spends a lot of time in smoke-filled rooms doing deals. Yes. Let's talk a bit about that cultural gravitational pull of New York in politics now, because, you know, Biden was the the only candidate, really. You know, you've you've had Bernie Sanders as a New Yorker, Trump... Uh, Hillary Clinton is a New Yorker, of course, Bloomberg is a very New York figure. And then Biden seemed to have sort of changed that in that he's he's not someone you associate with New York. And now, of course, he stands to possibly be replaced by a New Yorker. Why is it that New York's so dominant now in the in the national narrative? Well, I, I don't know that I would say, while Bernie Sanders still has his Brooklyn accent, he hasn't been a New Yorker in, in about half a century. So I, I don't know that I would say he's he's still a New Yorker, um, although certainly his upbringing speaks to a kind of broad New York experience that's familiar. And Hillary Clinton is, of course, from Illinois, but adopted New York when the Clintons left the White House. I think it cannot be said too many times that the fact that American media is clustered in New York means that politicians from the metro and tri-state area get more of a look by national media than their than their profiles would otherwise deserve. That also means they get more scrutiny, so it can be a double-edged sword. We've seen this with, you know, Hillary Clinton, Cory Booker, Michael Bloomberg, and now Andrew Cuomo getting a lot of praise chorus treatment from New York media. On the flip side, remember when Cuomo ran, was flirting with running for president in 2018, he went to a women's rights event and said, you know, America was never really that great. And suddenly this gaffe was national news and his candidacy was over before it started. So the national media concentration in New York gives, but it also takes away. Well, this is my suspicion, is that you're hearing quite a lot of Republicans talk about how Cuomo could be drafted in to replace Biden. But I haven't heard quite so much from Democrats. I wonder if this is just something that Republicans would quite like to push, because, I mean, let's face it, neither Biden nor Cuomo 
is a particularly strong candidate. You could, you could easily see an attack ad from Trump saying America's never been that great, which would be pretty devastating. I think there's some truth to that, but the, the, the quarters I heard it coming out of first were on the left wing of the Democratic Party, where people were concerned that the centrist Democrats were going to do a sort of switcheroo at the convention because they'd recognized that Biden was simply too enfeebled to run a credible campaign for president. So I think that may have been the origin point, but I don't know for sure. One of the points where Biden is seen to be weak is that the Bernie gang, the Bernie bros, the Bernie fans will not get behind him. In fact, a poll I saw suggests they'll get behind him even less than they got behind Clinton in 2016. I don't think we know. I, I do think in general, while there's certainly some elite quarters of the left wing of the Democratic Party that say they're going to be you know, Bernie or bust, in general, Democratic voters and the voters of any party win when their parties outside of the White House tend to come home because the fear, the palpable fear of four more years of the other party holding power is usually enough to get them home. So it may be. I don't know, though, that there's a meaningful difference between Cuomo and Biden in terms of that happening. Though Cuomo is loathed by the left, he's chiefly loathed by the left in New York and Obviously, New York, being a heavily Democratic state, is going to vote for either Biden or Cuomo, whoever the nominee is. Yes. And on gun control and abortion and issues like that, he's pretty he's pretty far to the left by American standards. Right. This is one aspect of New York's sort of politics writ large or the ideology of the New York electorate as opposed to the political culture of New York that I think puts Cuomo in a bit of a bind nationally. While he's viewed as a moderate Democrat in New York, and in many cases when it comes to his friendliness towards business, uh, his willingness to do deals, that sort of thing, he is hardly a, a, a left-wing insurgent and indeed fended off a primary from a, a left-wing insurgent from the last time he ran for re-election. But on certain cultural issues, specifically guns and abortion, he's well to the left of the mainstream of, of the electorate. And certainly he t has taken positions on those issues that would not play well in places like Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Minnesota, where there are a lot of blue-collar Democrats who remain at least somewhat culturally conservative and would look askance at Cuomo's tendency to be absolutely libertarian on matters of abortion, but heavy-handed, even gun-grabbing when it comes to gun rights. I mean, does it boil down to New Yorkers or tri-state area people like a nanny as a leader, and that doesn't play so well in the rest of America? I don't know that it can be said to boil down to that. I think, and I don't know that it's so much a nanny as a more autocratic figure. Certainly New York City likes to have a, a hands-on mayor, even one who can be overbearing. I think there's a sense that in order to make the city run, these are essential traits. When it comes to New York State writ large, there's a real balance of interests going on, and typically those interests are balanced in the state legislature. But as Democrats have taken over control, and specifically more left-wing Democrats have taken over control of the state legislature, Cuomo's become a focal point for balancing important interests that range from agriculture and lumber on the one hand to mid-sized cities, large suburbs, large rural places, and then, of course, the fact that half the state's population is located within New York City, Long Island, and the immediate upstate counties that are the affluent suburbs of New York. Let's imagine that the party bigwigs, the Democratic Party bigwigs, do decide they're going to draft in Cuomo for Biden at some point. How would that actually work? It would be almost impossible unless Biden stepped aside. What would need to happen is, is Biden would have to essentially, assuming that he wins a majority of pledged delegates on the first ballot, which appears what's going to happen, Biden would have to essentially 
accept those and then renounce the, the nomination and say, I can't do it, I'm infirm. At which point you go to a second ballot and then it's a free-for-all. But also on the second ballot, the notorious superdelegates who are elected officials, party people, folks who do politics for a living in the Democratic Party would have a say. But I don't think there's any reason to assume that Cuomo would be better positioned to win that than, say, Bernie Sanders or any of the other people who actually ran for president and accrued pledge delegates who would vote for them on the first round and create a center of gravity. But we'd be entering into such unknown territory that that really anything could happen in that kind of scenario. I mean, in, in a fair world, if, if the party were going to listen to the delegate system, they would have to choose Bernie as the second place candidate, right? Well, I, I, you know, I don't think that there's anything fair about party conventions, right? There are exercises of power and persuasion, red and tooth and claw. So the, the question of fairness doesn't really enter it into it as far as I'm concerned. But certainly Bernie, with the largest block of committed delegates and a clear ideological program, I think would come to play with a pretty persuasive case for why he should be the nominee, having come in second in total votes and total delegates to Biden. But they'd never let that happen. That's 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 my point, isn't it? Well, I don't know. It, it might be hard to stop. In 2008, everyone was convinced that there was no world in which the superdelegates would ever let a guy with the middle name Hussein beat Hillary Clinton. And the truth is, is as Barack Obama became more and more popular and indicated that he had a, a true committed following, the superdelegates followed the voters much more than they, they tried to lead them by the nose. So, you know, it would depend very much on whether or not Bernie could make a plausible case that he had a base of support greater than and more more mobilized than any of the other possible candidates. But so the the pressure, if it were to come on Biden to resign, it could be Barack Obama, who, as far as we understand, has been involved a little bit behind the scenes at the, in pushing Biden forward. He might pressure Joe to say, look, it's not working. Step aside and let someone else come in. Would Obama want Cuomo in there? Is, is that is that someone he'd want? I, I don't think we will see Barack Obama exercise any overt control over the Democratic Party. He's always been very skeptical of the party itself and party operators. I think there's been a, an element of, frankly, feeling like he's above that kind of squabbling. And now, you know, he has a very lucrative global personal brand that he's invested in. The Netflix movie production deal is a part of that. And, and I don't see any evidence to suggest that he would put that at risk for the sake of engaging in the kind of backroom skullduggery necessary to win a Democratic Party nomination. Barack Obama will show up to the last or the penultimate night of the convention, give a speech, and that will be pretty much the extent of his involvement. Now, if we wind up in a sort of second term of Woodrow Wilson situation where Joe Biden is legitimately infirm or debilitated, which obviously no one is hoping will happen, then I think it becomes an interesting question of who who steps in. Cuomo himself has been very, very close to Biden in the past, and I don't think he would act without the blessing of Joe Biden, because it, it has to be known that, you know, if Joe Biden, for instance, deteriorates in his physical condition, he would still be in a position, or at least his wife, Jill Biden, would be in a position to have a great deal of sway over who the successor candidate would be. And arguably, I think a Biden stepping aside is a more powerful figure in picking who his successor candidate would be than Obama coming in, having stayed outside of the Democratic primaries and selecting his own successor, having declined to do so in the past. Yes, let's talk briefly about Jill Biden. I mean, she seems to be very much a driving force. There's a lot of news reports about how important she is to the campaign. I went to a Biden town hall and the whole thing was pretty much 
all about her more than him. Do you think she is the the driving force of Joe Biden's campaign? No, I don't think so. I think from a tactical and operational level, her role has increased in importance as Joe's performance has become less stable and steady. But, you know, Joe Biden's been running for president for, what, 40 years now? I, I don't think you have to say that, and, and including when he was first elected to the Senate, he talked about how he was going to run for president. And <clears throat> that was before the definitive tragedy of his of his life, where he, he lost his daughter and his first wife. So I, I would say much more Jill married into a system where Joe was going to run for president when the opportunity presented itself, that she has taken on an operational and tactical role of making sure that Joe gets to where he needs to go and hopefully doesn't, you know, step on his own words too much is not the same as saying that she's the driving force. And given given that Joe Biden's had this long, long-held ambition to be president, how easy would it be for party bigwigs to pressure him into standing down? I mean, he, it might be quite a fight. It will be impossible, given the rules of the convention, for them to push him out if he secures a majority of the delegates and does not want to be pushed out. And that that's why I think genuinely we're talking about he has to be completely completely immobilized or disabled in order for this to be a realistic scenario. And I, I just don't see that happening. Joe Biden is going to have to, to have to choose to step aside. This is quite a hard question to know the answer to, but do you think it's possible that he might realize himself that he's not mentally capable of running or being president? Uh, I think that if he were going to have realized that, he would have already. You know, he chose not to run in 16, which led to the Obamas giving control of the Democratic Party back to the Clintons. I think that created some serious political fissures within the party. And I think that Biden sort of missed his shot. That was the time to do it. But, you know, clearly he's managed to secure the nomination this time based certainly not on any effectiveness of his own as a candidate, but merely as a safe alternative to Bernie Sanders. I don't see any world in which Biden is going to step aside from that he can't really be pushed. If he were going to engage in an act of self-effacing discretion, I think he would have already. It is not in the nature of politicians to do so in any country or in any scenario, but certainly not Joe Biden, who has persisted in this kind of joyless, airless candidacy for over a year now. Well, Luke, I don't think it's a question that's going to go away anytime in the near future. I hope you'll speak to us soon. And I think you're in for a rough few days in New York, just like we've had a rough few days in London. I hope you stay safe and well. Thank you. And likewise. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode of Americano. And I'd like to encourage you all to give us your feedback, positive comments or constructive comments only, please, to podcast at spectator.co.uk and say anything you like there as long as it's reasonably polite.